0: This morning we are going to continue in the book of Ephesians. Let me read for you in context. This morning we will focus on verses 26 and 27 of Ephesians chapter 4. But let me read for you Ephesians chapter 4 verses 20 through 27. Again, if you need a Bible so that you can follow along, if you need a Bible because you left yours at home or you don't have one with you, we're happy to give you one. If you don't have a Bible, you are free to keep it. If you just really like Bibles, you're free to keep it. Uh, We are happy to have a Bible in your hand. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Jason's more than happy to bring you a Bible. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 20. It says, But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Father, we thank you for the clarity of the word of God. We thank you that you have given us your word, Lord. We thank you that you have given us your spirit, that we might not only read and and understand your word, but that we might live and apply your word. Thank you that you have been faithful as you have promised. Thank you, Father, that we can count on your faithfulness, that you always act in right emotion, that you are wrathful when wrath is appropriate, you are gracious and patient and forbearing in ways that we cannot imagine. Pray, Father, you would give us grace this morning, that you would help us to think rightly about sin and ourselves and you and your plan for all creation. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This morning as we continue in the book of Ephesians, I want you to take just a moment to think about something. I want you to think about things that make you angry. You could write them down, you could list them in your head. I just spend it a little bit, maybe count them on your fingers. Think of things that make you angry. Got a pretty good list going by this point. Now I want you to take the same, same moment and think of things that make you thankful. Do the same thing. Count them on your fingers, write them down, list them in your head. Things that make you thankful. I'm going to ask you rhetorically, but is it easy to think of things that make you angry? Do you find it harder to think of things you're thankful for? Did you have a longer list and a quicker list? Was it easier and your mind was ready to list out those things you were angry over? Or was it easier to list out the things that you were thankful for? Does it come quite naturally to list out the things that make you angry? Or does it come quite naturally to list out the things that you are very thankful for? What should overwhelm the Christian life is thankfulness, not anger. Anger should not be the character of a Christian. Anger should not be what defines you as a Christian. Your anger towards things are not what is to define you. Again and again, Christians are commanded to be thankful. In Romans chapter 1, we see that all mankind is condemned outside of Christ because they know there is a God. They know they have sinned against that God, and they are not thankful for him. They have no thanksgiving. In Christ, we have eternal hope. We have much to be thankful for. The book of Ephesians actually starts proclaiming to us what we have to be thankful for. It says that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have hope because he has loved us. He has chosen us. He has called us. He has given us Wisdom and insight through the gospel. He has sealed us in the spirit that we would forever be his people He has called us from death to life though. We were carrying about the Will of the world and living like the rest of mankind though We were children of wrath like everyone else God who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses did what? made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. He saved us from sin. He has united us together in the hope of the gospel. We no longer live under the weight and shame of sin, but we live free in Christ, free to put sin to death, free to live alive in Christ. Ephesians has proclaimed to us much to be thankful for. Should we forget the truth of our new life? Should we forget the reality of all that Christ has accomplished, all that God has planned? It could be quite easy for us to move backward, to live in the way of the world, to be overcome with anger and frustration and bitterness and sin. But in Christ we are free from sin, no longer to live in sin. And so where then does anger play a part in the life of a Christian? The reality is that you will be angry, right? Anger will be a part of your life. You will not be able to live in a sinful world and not be angry. And often you will righteously be angry. Sin should rightfully make you angry. You should not be joyful or apathetic in the realization of sin. You should not meet sin and celebrate it, nor ignore it and pretend it's not a problem. Sin should be met with anger. Sin deserves anger. Sin is rebellion against God, but should not be embraced or enjoyed. It should be something that causes us to be angry. That is why often, as as theologians or Christians or people who study the Bible, we speak of a righteous anger. A righteous anger does exist. see that God has a righteous anger. We read this morning that God's righteous anger will melt all of creation. That his wrath weighs against mankind. We've looked at many times in Romans chapter 1 that the wrath of God, or that is the actions of his anger, weigh against mankind. And so a Christian must have right thinking on anger. And it is the grace of God by the pen of Paul and the will of the Holy Spirit that we have instructions here on our relationship to anger. How is it under all of the grace of God, all of the plan of Christ, all we have to be thankful for as Christians who should live in thanksgiving, who are commanded again and again to be grateful, here are commanded be angry. These brief two verses, I think, can be very helpful to us as we think about what should anger a Christian. Verse 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. First, clarity in the holiness of God will cause anger towards sin. The command here is to be angry. There should be anger. Anger should exist in a Christian. You should not be free from anger. It should not be that nothing makes you angry. As you live in a sinful world, there will be times when your heart has a feeling of hatred towards something. And it should, towards sin. Sin should anger you. It should cause you to have a holy hatred. You should despise it and reject it. Want nothing but its destruction. The Christian must have a right relationship with anger. It is commanded that we would hate evil. We read it this morning in Psalm 97. He says, "O you who love the Lord, hate evil. We are commanded to hate it. So often people want to say, God is a God of love. Love is what defines him. No, God is what defines love. And love includes a hatred of evil. God is the definition of love. And throughout the scripture, we see that God hates evil. In Isaiah chapter 24, he says, The earth is utterly broken. The earth is split apart. The earth is is violently shaken the earth staggers like a drunken man it sways like a hut its transgression lies heavy upon it and it falls and will not rise and on that day the Lord will punish the hosts of heaven in heaven and the kings of earth on earth they will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit and they will be shut up in a prison and after many days they will be punished isaiah writes of the end of all time he says both the demons And the men of earth who have lived in rebellion against God, those who have been evil on earth, those who have done treachery, those who have slandered and profaned, ridiculed and destroyed, those who have taken part in all types of sin will be punished. The earth will be broken and split. It will be destroyed and then renewed in grace. But God's grace and renewal does not change the fact that he is a just and faithful judge. He will judge evil. It is right to hate evil. When your friend is swindled by a shady salesperson, you hate that, and you should. When the innocent are ridiculed and slandered, you hate that, and you should when there is violence and destruction from drug and alcohol abuse, when there is suffering in families because of child abuse, you should hate that. When there is greed in the world while others suffer in poverty, while many walk by the poor and live by the poor in their wealth and abundance and do nothing for them, we ought to hate that. Theft and stealing causes such pain from selfishness we ought to hate it. Adultery and divorce, the pain and suffering that it brings to people and families, the lies it wraps them up in and destroys their soul and sexual morality. We ought to hate that. Homosexuality and every type of perversion in God's design, and pornography and all kinds of things on earth that pervert God's design in marriage and intimacy between a man and a woman. For his creation to be fruitful and full of those bearing his image. When it is destroyed with all types of immorality, we should hate that. When the world worships every created thing and denies there is a holy and righteous God, we should hate that. Christian, you are commanded to be angry, and you should rightly, as God is, be angry at sin. But do not quickly forget that you were once a shady, swindling salesperson, that you have slandered and ridiculed the innocent, that you by violence have destroyed others, and you have abused God's creation with drugs and alcohol. That you in greed have lived in wealth while you watch others suffer in poverty. That you have stolen and caused pain because of your selfishness, wanting something that did not belong to you. That you have committed adultery and divorce and you have caused pain in all kinds of sexual morality to people and family members. That you have lived in perversion and that you have worshipped any created thing that you thought would satisfy you, denying the only and holy God. We must hate sin. But Christian, too quickly you remove yourself from the hatred. Too quickly you hate the sin of the world and you deny your sin. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, we are told, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he makes a list, not a complete list, but a summary list of unrighteousness that will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, do not be deceived. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. The beauty of verse 11 should bring you great thankfulness. As you read verses 9 and 10, it should stir in you a hatred and a shame. It should stir in you a hatred and an anger because you know these things have classified you. But verse 10 ends and verse 11 begins with great hope. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. No anger over unrighteousness should cause you to dwell on some kind of holiness that you believe you possess. Clarity in the holiness of God will cause anger towards sin, all sin. Not just the sin of others, but the sin of yourself. If your life is overwhelmed by anger without humility, you do not have a righteous anger. You have an unrighteous anger. The sin of the world should be an ever-present reminder of the holiness of God and his mercy and steadfast love toward you. Christian, you should not walk around the world in anger, thinking you are righteous and holy. You ought to be angry at sin, and that sin ought to dwell no longer in you because Christ has redeemed you. But when you see it, when it rears its ugly head, when its memory seems closer than the true and present closeness of Christ's redemption, Let it not stir in you pride. Don't let your anger seed against others. Dwell on the holiness of God and his grace and mercy toward you. This week in the Romans Community Group, we looked at a quote by Jonathan Edwards. It's one of his resolutions, it is the eighth of his resolutions, and he wrote it, I believe. To remind him of this very thing because he knew self-righteousness always laid close at hand. As God works mightily in his saints and his saints pursue holiness, he is faithful and they become holier people. And too quickly we take our eyes off the holiness of God and we just look at the unholiness of our previous life and we think we are pretty holy. Or we look at the world around us and we think compared to them, I am pretty holy. And so Jonathan Edwards wrote this resolution, I think in the heart of Romans chapter 2 and Galatians and much of the Bible. says that he resolved to act in all respects, both in speaking and doing, as if nobody had ever been as sinful as he had. And when I encounter sin in others, I will feel at least in my own mind and heart as if I had committed the very same sins or had the same weakness or failing as others. I will use the knowledge of their failings to promote nothing but humility in me, even shame in myself. I will use awareness of their sinfulness and weakness only as an occasion to confess my own sins and misery to God." If you remember Jonathan Edwards, you might remember him from 11th grade in American Public High School is a very famous sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he is often remembered only for that sermon. The American narrative wants to paint the Puritans and Jonathan Edwards as a man who was self-righteous and lived to condemn the world. Jonathan Edwards was clear about the evilness of sin. And he resolved before he was in his mid-twenties That he would live in such a way, that he would let the sin of the world reflect to him, God's grace and mercy. That he would let it stir in him, humility and faithfulness. The world needs Jesus. No man will save the world. But the world could use a few more Jonathan Edwards. Men who are unafraid to preach about the reality and the evilness of sin, the hatred that must be there, the anger of God toward the sin of the world in humility and faithfulness, not fearful of what man will say, but fearful of the God who he loves, knowing that God has shown him mercy and grace. Christian, we are commanded to be angry, but the command does not end just with be angry. It is joined equally to another statement. You look with me again at verse 26. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not let the righteous anger result in unrighteous living. Christian, do not be one who seethes in the anger of the world and lives unrighteously in sin. It says, do not Sin. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate on the holiness of God and confess your sin. Proverbs 8, 13 says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. There should be an anger and a hatred of evil within the fear of the Lord. You know that God is a holy and righteous judge. So there should be a hatred of evil in you and in the world because you fear a holy God. And notice in Proverbs 8.13, it does not end there either. It says, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Do not let the clarity that God is a righteous judge and there is a righteous anger stir an unrighteousness in you. Do not be one who sees the sin of the world and you say in the beginning of verse 13, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil and ignore the ending of verse 13, Proverbs 8, that says pride and arrogance are the way of evil and the Lord hates them. Do not let anger that is righteous lead to unrighteous living in pride and arrogance rather than brokenness and humility. Be angry and do not Sin. Too quickly we justify our sin because of our hatred towards sin, and it is a contradiction, Christian. The Word of God says that the anger of man will not accomplish what? The righteousness of God. The anger of man will not bring about God's righteousness. It is not man's anger, it is not man's wrath that will bring about the holiness and the righteousness of God. Christians are commanded to be quite different. Those who are their enemies, those who they ought to hate, those who are living in sin, they ought to live to bless. We looked at that this week in Romans chapter 12. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or proud. Proud, proud, and arrogant. But associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God is always just in anger, and therefore we are to leave justice to the wrath of God. Christians are not those who are to live to avenge themselves. When they are persecuted, what ought they to do? Bless. When they see others in joy, what ought they to do? Rejoice. When they see others in sorrow, what ought they to do? Be in sorrow with them. They are to live in harmony with one another, not to be proud, to associate with those that they would see beneath them or lowly. They're not to be wise in their own sight. They're to be humble. and They're not to repay evil for evil because we are not just judges. We are pardoned criminals. We have no understanding of the system of justice. He has left us with knowledge. We'll look this week in Romans 13. God has not abandoned the world to live in chaos, but he has given governments of earth. He has cared for his people in rule of law and justice. He has given those to bear the sword, that they might carry out justice on earth, not perfectly, but under the care and provision of God. And what ought Christians to do then when they see that the justice of the world is not perfect? When they meet evil, ought they take it in their own hands? Are they the ones, are we the ones to say, the world is unjust, therefore I will rise up? Well, The institution of government is called to instill justice. Christian you personally here are commanded not to be one who lives to avenge yourself you are to believe fully in the wrath of God that God is faithful and just that God is the avenger of all unrighteousness you are to leave it to the wrath of God as much as you are able you are to live in peace with all people and I understand that is a difficult peace It is costly. Many Christians, it has cost them their lives, and they willingly gave it. Why? Because Christ gave His life for them. We are commanded to be angry, but not in sin. We are commanded to live in such a way that the anger of God is made clear, not confused by our sin, but compounded by His grace. If you notice in verse 21, or 20 rather, it says, If your enemy is thirsty, feed him. Uh, No, that would be mean. He's hungry. If he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. That vengeance is God's. And then by so doing, what will you do? You will heap burning coals on his head. On Tuesday night, and I assume on Thursday night, we had great discussions about this, and often our confusion in it. These burning coals, I would say, are a picture of the wrath of God. Throughout the Old Testament, the wrath of God is displayed as burning coals, the hot anger of a holy God. Daniel brought up as we were discussing it and studying it together, it is the removal of God's wrath or holiness uh, on us that we see in Isaiah as the coal burns the lips of Isaiah. He says you are purified, you are cleansed from the wrath of God and looking forward to Christ. Throughout the Old Testament, we see that Hot wrath is what awaits those who do evil. And so how is it that we are supposed to bless and not curse, and we long for burning coals to be on their heads? What does that mean? Christians have often misunderstood this, and they have taken a self-righteous anger and say, yes, I am waiting and rejoicing in the wrath of God being poured out against them. Now Christian, there are things that are evil and there are psalms that proclaim the grace of God that he will destroy and punish wickedness. But if your neighbor broke the rules of the HOA or is mad at you because you broke the rules of the HOA, your command is not to rejoice because God will punish their iniquity. When you were driving on the freeway and you're cut off, you think someday god will get his vengeance when the sweet old lady or the punk 14 year old boy cuts in front of you in a line you're not to wait on the wrath of god to come down what are you to do you are to live in such grace that the sinner sees your kindness for them and feels the weight of God's wrath because they want you to respond in kind. Peter says they are confused when they act in anger and debauchery and we don't join them. He says they look at us and they say, why? And Peter then commands, always be ready to give an account for the hope that's within you. That your patience and self-control, your endurance in knowing that they are evil, is to reflect the forbearance and the grace of God to you, to them. Their small interaction with you ought to reflect a weight upon them. Why am I not kind like that? Why can I not be patient like that? Why when someone cuts me off, I can't smile and wave and go, it's all right, we all do it. How is it that they can have such a joy despite injustice right in their face? It puts a weight on them, a burden, a weight that Romans proclaims that the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who live by unrighteousness and suppress the truth. Christian, when you are angry and then you sin, you do not help them to feel the weight of the truth. You confuse them. You act in sin, and now their thoughts are not on where they stand before God. Their thoughts are, I'm okay, because do you see how hypocritical that Christian is? These are the people that tell us we ought to be holy. These are the people that tell us they know the way. And they can't be patient for a few moments, for a few months. They can't have joy and peace, trusting the God of all creation that they proclaim. A God who is sovereign over all things. And yet when their man's not elected, they're seething with anger and crying out in slander and gossip toward others. I remember not this presidential election because it hasn't come about, but a previous, and a man that most Christians, I would assume at the time, wouldn't vote for, one of my very liberal and non-believing friends. She's quite the atheist herself. Uh, she posted the most clarifying truth that night. She said, Why are all my Christian friends who believe that God controls everything in utter panic because one man became president? It was the grace of God to speak through the ignorance of her that night. And she had heard the truth of the God we serve, and she was confused by the response and the reaction of Christians. Christian, you will be confused in the moment. There will be times in your life where you panic in situations that do not deserve panic because you don't know the end from the beginning. God comforts you in that he knows the end from the beginning that you might not panic, that you might be comforted. That when you have anxiety, you might rest on him. But when things don't go your way, or even here, when things rightfully make you angry because of injustice. Be angry, but do not sin. Act rightly. Rest in the comfort of God. Rest in the comfort that He is always joyful and faithful. And live kind to others that they might see His grace and not be covered in His wrath, but be covered by the blood of Christ. That they might ask for why you have hope and you might share the love of Christ with them. All sin will be paid for. It has either been paid for by the blood of Christ or it will be paid for under the wrath of God. There is no sin, no unrighteousness that is left unpaid. And as you look around the world, you don't know who will be covered by Christ and who will meet the end. That is why we proclaim the gospel. And it is why, though the world makes us angry, we seek to live knowing we are angry, but we ought not sin. That is why he commands, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Christian, you must wrestle through these things in your mind. He says, do not sin. How are you going to fight that inherent desire to sin? When you are shown injustice, how are you going to battle that immediate Feeling in your chest that goes, if you're going to do that, then I'm going to do this. Well, first you hear the command, be angry and do not sin. And then you go to the Lord and you deal with your anger. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not let time pass over this anger. Do not rest and stew in wrath anger because you are not holy and righteous it will stir in you a bitterness and a division toward people you are not one who is to live in anger you are to live in thankfulness for the grace of God and so when you are angry when sin causes you to angry to anger when you feel a righteous anger deal with that righteous anger rightly Do not sin, and when it stirs in you self-righteousness, do not let the sun go down on your anger, because it will. Many times I've heard this passage used uh, for marriage counseling and telling Christians, you've got to deal with these issues before you go to bed. If you guys are in a fight, you've got to work that fight out before you go to bed. That is not the command here. Lauren and I spent many sleepless nights as young believers because we felt like, what she didn't feel like she's like, I'm trying to go to bed. And I'm like, We got to deal with this. We got to figure this out. I'm super mad. You know what this command is? This is a command to me Jake, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it rightly. It is not a command to call everyone to solve your problems. It's not a command to try to fix everything and to vent and give full venting to all of your feelings. It is a command for you to deal with your anger and do it quickly. Don't let days pass. Don't let the sun go down. Be one who rightly and quickly thinks about the truths of God. Remind yourself of the justice of God. When your heart is angry because of sin in the world, remind yourself God is faithful and He has forgiven me. He has paid for my immorality. He has paid for my injustice, my thieving, my stealing. And He will call those to salvation who are Christ's and He will punish the unrighteous in eternity. I ought not to lose sleep over this. I ought to sleep comforted that God is gracious and merciful. We must deal with it. And when we find our anger is self-righteous and not righteous, when we find that our anger is stirring within us a sense in which we are holy, and we find ourselves not as those we joke about but the man we're living in, angry at everyone else on the freeway angry at everyone else in the line angry at everyone else in the store assuming everyone you see is an enemy based upon what they're wearing you find yourself living in self-righteousness what ought you to do well you ought not to live like those of romans 1 that is god reveals his wrath though they knew god they did not honor him or give thanks to him but what did they do they became In their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Christian, you're not to live in the dark. You're not to be thankless and assume that everything around you is evil. You are to be aware that God is the God who redeems evil. God is the God who sent Christ to die for the evil, and you are evil without Christ. 1 John 1 6 10 says, If we say we have fellowship with Him, While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. You see what he says? If you walk in darkness, if you live your life in the pride and arrogance of evil, you lie. You do not practice the truth. If there is no humility to be found in you, no sense, When you hear this this morning and you feel convicted, that is humility. That is the grace of God calling you to say, repent of this, Jake. Don't live in this type of anger. But if you sit there and you hear these truths, you can be mad at me. But if your anger is towards God and you think, who is he to tell me I'm unrighteous and I must be humbled? And yet you say you walk with him says, do not say that you live in the light when you live in the darkness because he is the light. And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, if now in the light you go, I'm fine, I'm perfected, I am holy. says, no, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. The truth's not in you. Verse 9, okay, so if we're supposed to walk in, walk in the light, not in the darkness, Christ has cleansed us, but yet we still have sin, what do we do? First John, chapter 1, verse 9, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in grace, he again reminds, if you get to the end of that and you go, well, I don't have to worry about those verses because I haven't sinned says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, if we say we are the holy and righteous judge, we have never committed error, we have the right to stand above others, to seek over the lowly and say, you foolish child. The wrath of God awaits you. If you put yourself in the place of God as the holy judge, rather than a compassionate sinner redeemed by the grace of God. You call God a liar. You say, I, I don't have sin. I don't need his help. No. You have sinned. He is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But confess it. Confess it this morning. In humble repentance, leave no place For Satan's slander and lies. In humble repentance, leave no place for Satan's slander and lies. What does he say? Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it. Do not let the sun set. Deal with it quickly. Run to God. Today is the day of salvation. Go to God. Confess your sins. Make known to God your need of Christ. Humble yourself in repentance. Don't leave this morning going. Yes, God is angry towards those stupid, angry people. Praise God. Be humbled. Let the grace of God work in you. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. In humble repentance, leave no place for Satan's lies and slander. Be blinded by the darkness of sin. Satan has been a liar and a slanderer from the beginning. He has questioned the goodness of God and the kindness of God. He has questioned the grace of God in giving all things to mankind. And Satan is more than happy to gladly let you live in a stewing pride and anger toward others. If you'll give up, Some things you consider gross sin. He's more than happy to let you live like him, a lesser being that thinks he's God. And clean up a few things in your life. He's more than happy to let you live in pride and arrogance. Because as Proverbs 8.13 said, The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil, and pride and arrogance and the way of evil The way of Satan perverted speech God hates Christian don't be so quickly confused don't be so quickly ready to settle in and say I have a righteous anger be angry and remember the fullness of the command be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger Deal with it rightly. Remember the anger and the wrath of God and the grace that he has shown you in Christ. There are two ways you will give opportunity to Satan. In one, you will live in apathy and you will belittle the wrath of God. You will look at others and you will find them sinful and you will say, They are like me, so they can't be so bad. Many in our world want to justify many sins of immorality, many sins of greed, many sins of arrogance. And they look and they say, no one's perfect. Should I reject them? Should I remove them from my family? They're my brother. They're my sister. Should I tell them I have any right to tell them what is right or wrong? Should I feel any way to be compelled? Ought I not to just love them and be apathetic toward their sin? There is the sin of apathy. There is also the sin of arrogance. Satan is more than happy to let you live in apathy toward sin, not hating it because it feels close to home or in arrogance, to divide yourself quickly from others, to say, I would never, I could never, how could they? What kind of people? People just like you. If you are apathetic towards sin, you are taking the place of God because you are saying they're okay because they're made in my image. And if you sin in arrogance, you are then taking the place of God and saying they are condemned because I am the standard of holiness and righteousness. Christian, we are to stand not in the place of apathy or the place of arrogance, but in the place of repentance and humility. Romans 1, as it proclaims the sin of the world, also goes on to proclaim the foolish sin of all, that they might look at other men and excuse them. In verse 28 of Romans 1, he says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, he gave them over to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done, And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy and murder and strife, deceit and maliciousness. They are gossips and slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And though they know God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die... They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. They are apathetic. Though they know these things deserve the wrath of God, they not only live them, but they are apathetic toward the life of others in them. And then he deals with the pride and arrogance of sin. He says, therefore, you have no excuse, any one of you who judges. Any one of you who condemns another, for in passing condemnation on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. God rightly will judge all man who lives in sin. And he says, do you suppose, O man, that you who judge those who practice, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? You who live apathetic or arrogant toward the sin of others, do you think your apathy and sin or your arrogance and self righteousness will escape the wrath of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance in patience? Do you presume God is faithful and kind? He is a cosmic grandfather whose job is to look down on all of us and say, It's okay you assume that what God is doing in showing forbearance and kindness, withholding his wrath, holding sinners in his angry hand and not crushing them? Do you assume it is because he is weak and unpowerful? Because he has no choice but to look over sin? Do you think his inaction means nothing and you ought to just go on in sin? Says, no, you who presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. He is a wrathful God and he will pour out his wrath and he restrains in forbearance and kindness and patience. Not because he is unable to carry out his wrath. Not because you are unworthy outside of Christ to carry his wrath against you. Because he is kind and faithful and longs that it would lead you to repentance. That you would look at the world and not find yourself quick to anger, but quick to humility and thankfulness. That you would see the kindness and forbearance of God that he does not destroy you, but sends Christ to be destroyed in your place. Would lead you where? Not to apathy. Not to arrogance. But to repentance. Verse 5. But because of your hard and impenitent heart. you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. When God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Christian your life should not only be one of thankfulness. But as you were reminded of the anger and the wrath of God. It ought to be one of repentance. Do not live in apathy and anger towards sin. Be angry and do not sin. Repent. Repent under the righteous and holy hand of God who has sent Christ. Do not sit in it. Do not pet it. Do not make it your, your little friend of anger and frustration. Do not let it be what fuels you and feeds you. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Because if you fuel it, and you feed it, if you live in it in arrogance or you treat it as though it's nothing in apathy, you're giving opportunity to Satan. You are inviting the lies of Satan from the beginning. That God is not good and faithful, you are. And that God will not judge you, he can't. Christian, God is a faithful and wrathful judge. And unrighteousness will meet its right end under the wrath of God. And that ought to overwhelm you and humble you that God has been so gracious to you. Let it not stir in you arrogance or apathy, but zeal for the holiness of God and humility in yourself. Let's pray that God would be so faithful to not just instruct us in wisdom, but to give grace by his Spirit that we might be those who, who are angry and do not sin, those who do not let the sun go down on their anger, and those who seek to give no place to the lies and slander of Satan. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is good and faithful. I thank you, Lord, that as as we live as confused beings, Father, as all of the world is subjected to futility, you have not left us in darkness. You have given us light. I thank you, Father, that you have sent the light of your Son, that our sin and darkness might be redeemed, that we would be paid for, that we could live in repentance before you. I thank you, Father, that you are not afraid nor apathetic towards sin, but you are righteous and faithful. I thank you that you are merciful and gracious to pay for sin in the blood of your Son. I thank you that you have not left us to be those who do not know you, but while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ died that we might be righteous. I pray, Father, that we would respond in proclaiming your name, that we would not be those who meet anger in sin, but who meet our anger in clarity of your great holiness and humility toward others. I pray you would use our voices and our thoughts and our actions to proclaim your gospel you would help us, Father, to deal quickly with our sin, that we would confess it to your Son, that you might cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I pray, Father, you would give us grace, as I am praying for far more than we can even remember, but it is very little for you to accomplish. Thank you in your grace and your faithfulness. In the name of your Son, we pray.